This morning we're going to look now at James chapter 3, if you want to turn there. And uh, one of the things about the construction of James, you probably already realize that, but it is it is a bit difficult, bit of a difficult book to kind of just walk through because what happens in the book of James is he 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 seems to just talk about unconnected things at times. He'll jump from one subject to another as he's talking about maturity in the church and and what is the the, the fruit of the implanted word in people, what it should look like. And so he talks about a lot of different things. If you remember, a number of weeks ago, we were in chapter 1, and he just succinctly, all of a sudden, talked about three things that ought to be the part, uh, ought to be a part of a person who has the word implanted in them that has come to life in Christ. Verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he went on to say, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. He just throws out three things all of a sudden. Doesn't really amplify them much, particularly the the first one that we're going to talk about now as he comes back in that book later and then picks up some of those topics. This morning is evidence in a time as though he came back now to what he said in verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious but doesn't bridle his tongue, his religion is worthless. It, 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 it does damage. It's not helpful, however you want to say that. So then he talks about now in chapter 3, taming it. Learning to tame the tongue and see the power of the tongue. So let's read it together, verses 1 through 12, and then we're just going to make some observations about what he says. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's an example right there of how Paul just kind of drops something in, and then he doesn't amplify it. Um, He's talking about the tongue here, but he kind of throws in that idea about teachers. Um, and the rest of what he talks about really, I don't think, is talking about teachers per se or in particular. And that's how James writes. He, 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 sh- he shares something kind of to get your attention. Now, it's obvious that we ought to be careful, those who teach, because the danger is what can come out of our lips. And when you teach, lots of things come out. And so there's greater opportunity for error just because you say more words. And that's really, I think, what he's talking about. He's using it to kind of get our attention. And then he goes on in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they will obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Whenever the will of the pilot directs, or wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every beast and bird and reptile And sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people 
who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same op- from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The tongue, we're going to talk about it. But before we do that, just stop for a minute. Think in your life as it kind of races back of moments when you said things you wished you hadn't said. First category of things you wished you hadn't said is you just didn't think first. You just said something and you didn't think it through. And it comes out and you just kind of wish, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. I I said something a few weeks ago to someone. I didn't mean it with ill intent. In fact, I think I meant it with good intent. I just didn't think before I said it. And what he heard is not what I think I wanted to convey. I realized that. And probably at some point, if opportunity comes, I need to, to have a conversation with that person to kind of undo that a bit. I just didn't think. Didn't think it all the way through. Didn't think the ramifications of how it might be received, even though it was with, a, I think, a heart that wanted to do good. So you have those kind of things where you just, you just misspeak. We have that opportunity to do that. We all do that. You can think of some, I'm sure. If I had you stand up, you probably could think of some. You might think of some last week. But then there's a, a greater category, isn't there? There's a category where we intended to inflict pain. We were frustrated. We were angry. We were venting. And maybe we even thought a bit before we spoke because we wanted to have as much impact as it could of sarcasm or whatever we wanted to do to the person that we were speaking to. Both of those categories, both of those things happen. Both of those things, I'm convinced you can think of times when you've done that. Times when you have just inadvertently done it or times when you intentionally did it. The tongue, it it is a really practical thing to talk about, isn't it, in our lives? It's something that plagues us. I think, I think James was thinking about it. You remember, as we read in chapter 3, we talked about that first verse kind of there to get our attention. But then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, we all stumble in many ways. Think about what James might have thought about. James, we believe, was the brother of Jesus. Do you remember? If you go back into the early days of Jesus' ministry... Remember what the family said about him? Maybe it was James who uttered the words. At least he was a cohort in the thought. And it was, they said, he is out of his mind. Just after Jesus appointed his disciples. That was the scuttlebutt among his family. He's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. I'm sure that must have come back to James. He must have thought about it a lot. It maybe is why... In the book of Corinthians, it tells us that, remember, Jesus appeared to Peter to kind of console Peter after his failure. But it also says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to James. He went specifically to his brother, James. Maybe because of this, because of what they said, because of the way they talked about him, possibly. We don't know that for sure. But something caused James to realize his own sin. We stumble. We all stumble. In, in what we say. We all do, even James, even the brother of Jesus, even the one who is the head of the church at Jerusalem. 
I think he spoke the words, not many of you should become teachers because he knew at times when he said things that he ought not to have said. We all struggle with that. It's the index and the health of our heart, really. It's the overflow of our heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 12 that for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know it comes out of our hearts. It's the gauge of our hearts in many ways. And so so the immensity of the task is immense. To, To bridle the tongue. And in fact, in one sense, in one sense, I don't think this is a fatalistic statement, but it says, no human being can tame the tongue. In other words, it will be a lifetime endeavor. It won't be you take a pill and you get it all figured out and you never have trouble again, but it will be a lifetime endeavor of taming the tongue, learning to tame it. Letting God help us to do that. So what does the text tell us about it? That enormity, that immense task that is upon us. What, how does it describe it? First describes it, and then I think it gives us a couple of illustrations that will help us, I hope, to get some practicality underneath it. Some ways in which we can begin to come against it. But first of all, we have to recognize that we need to come against it. So I think what James lays out here first is just to show us, although I don't think we necessarily need to be shown the trouble it can get us in. First of all, it has enormous power. One of the things that this text says, the tongue has enormous power. Now, it has enormous power in this sense for evil. He he spends a lot of time talking about the enormous power of the tongue for evil and for Bad things. Now, certainly the the counter of that, the opposite of that is true. We'll come to that toward the end. But now he's talking about how such a small thing can have such an impact. Look at it there in verse 3. He says there, "If if we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Just a few weeks ago, we had a grandma camp where we had five of our grandchildren here, and Deb Munger allowed them to go horseback riding. And, and my young grandchild, the young grandson, got up in one of those big horses. And it's just, it's again, just a picture of how somebody so small and a bit can control that big horse with that small person, how the bit does it. And you who know horses know that even better. But I watched it happen, how he, though as small as he was, could control that horse because of, of a bit in the mouth. But we see the bit is a small thing, but it controls an enormous animal. Or it goes on and says the ships are large. They're driven by strong winds. And certainly the fierceness of of water and how quickly it can surge. But it's guided by a small rudder. Again, the the implication is it, it has enormous power. And power that isn't proportional to its size. That's what it's really trying to say. It is disproportional power that the tongue has compared to the size of it. And then he goes on a little farther um, and says that it boasts great things. That little thing can get us in all kinds of trouble because it boasts great things. And then he goes on to talk about it being a fire. After he talks about it being a bit or a... A rudder, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. 
fire. Isn't that a fascinating thing? You, you think about how just a little spark can set a whole forest on fire. Again, the, the comparison of the enormity, the immensity of the power of the tongue. And it, it's such a small thing. And yet it can do such, really, the Bible says, hellish damage. Because it says here, it is set on fire by hell. It can be set on fire by hell. Satan can take that small thing in our lives and create havoc everywhere. If we allow him, if we, if we don't come against it, if we don't realize we must come against it, um, it, it has enormous power. I, I, I watch this. I witness this in small communities, partly because I've pastored in small communities. Even Aberdeen is a relatively small community. But, but those outside of Aberdeen, you, you realize how, how powerful words can be, how powerful they can, they can do damage in communities. Ill-spoken words. Um, you understand the power of words in a family, in, in the tone that's set in the morning in a family. The, the first word spoken can set a tone that goes throughout the day and can affect more than one day. The, the tongue has enormous power. The scripture says it's a deadly poison. It's a deadly poison. It can be a deadly poison. Poison is an interesting thing, isn't it? You ever, maybe, this, maybe only my mind thinks this way. But sometimes I can look at stuff that is poisonous and you think, how can that be? How could this liquid be poisonous? How could it, how could it do that? And, and yet it does. You know it is. It's got, it's got the marks on it of poison to stay away from it. And, and how, how it can do such damage and you think it's such a small thing, yet it can take life. An interesting thing a few years ago in our family, um, never do this. It's an admonition to never do this, but uh, we, had, uh, we had some medicine in our medicine cabinet that uh, I needed to take because I was having heartburn. And so I went and took some medicine. I thought I was taking heartburn medicine, but what I was really taking was skin so soft. I didn't worry about the heartburn anymore. I... Had, I, we had put in skin so soft somehow in the wrong container. Don't ever do that. That's, but had to call poison control. I didn't know if I was going to die or not. I mean, how in the world could skin so soft create such havoc? And, and fate would have it that the person who we called was from the church. So I heard about it longer. That was before the time of privacy and all of that stuff. <laughs> and it wasn't Randy. Randy didn't do it. Nobody here. They're gone. But it, it, was, it was an interesting thing. But again, how, how can something so small create such deadly consequences? But that's really the point he's making. It's, it's a bit, it's a, it's a rudder, it's, it's a fire, a spark, it's a poison, but it wrecks havoc. And it can wreck havoc. And, and we need to be so, so careful. It causes great destruction. That's the second point he wants to make. It has inappropriate power and it causes great destruction if we let it go. And thirdly, he says in this text, is the problem of inconsistency. The problem of inconsistency. You hear it there, you read it there uh, about it. It says says with one word, verse 8, with it, 
verse, verse 9 actually, with it we bless our Lord the Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We can come and sing praises to him one moment and curse those who are made in his likeness the next. And you know that can happen, don't you? It's probably happened at times in your Sunday morning preparations or your Sunday afternoon relaxation. How can that be? How can that inconsistency reign? How can we come and bless God and then curse those made in his image? But we do. The inconsistency of the tongue. So the battle is paramount that we, that we come against it. That we come against it because it can create such havoc and it can cause such great destruction and that it can create such inconsistency in our lives. So much can be undone so quickly by our tongues, by what we say. A whole lifetime of, of attempting to live to tell the truth about God can potentially be undone in a moment in an interaction with someone. So God help us to be careful. God help us to come against the problem of inconsistency. So how do we do that? How do we come against that? And we should. The inference of this text, the inference of the book of James is, we should come against it. We should. It ought not to be, is what he would say. It ought not to be. We, we must fight it. And in fact, if we have in fact had the word implanted in us, there will be, there will be a desire to come against it. We will have a desire. We won't always succeed. We may fail. We may not know the right way to do it, so we don't do it as successful as we should at times. But we should have a desire and realize, first of all, that we don't want that power to undo telling the truth about God to our world. I hope, I hope this morning, right now, you want to say, God, help me. I want to tell the truth about you to the world. I don't want to tell false things about you to the world. And so then control my tongue. Help me to control my tongue so that I don't let that happen. I don't let that inconsistency occur in my life. Look at a little farther. He, he lays it out a little more. He lays out the issue a little more in a couple more illustrations that he gives us here as we walk through this text. Um, go down in verse 10. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. But then he says this, does spring, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? What's he mean by that? Does a spring bring fresh and salt water? I think what he's saying is that what we want to do, this is part of the inconsistency. What's happening when both blessing and cursing is coming is that, that they're, they're both coming down the same pipe. As though they're coming out of us, this water is coming from two different sources. And, and one is salty and one is fresh. But you know what happens when that salty water and that fresh water come out to the end, though they are both part of, of the pipeline, which one are you going to taste? You know which one you're going to taste. You know which one's going to affect the other. You know that the taste is going to be salty. And, and, and again, he's saying it ought not to be. We, we have to find ways not to let that happen because if you, let, if you let both of those things happen, what people are going to get is salt and saltiness, distaste 
They're not going to get the truth about the spring because it's going to be tainted by the falseness. That's the first illustration I think that he's giving us. And so the, the goal is, the goal is to, to not let that get mixed, not let that salt water get in there and to, to limit the amount of that salt water to a, a minimal amount so that the spring water is what gets tasted by our lives as we come before people and as we begin to tell the truth about God. So then he goes on. Then he kind of changes gears again. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And then he says, this is really the key. I think the next thing he says, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What, he, what I think he's saying is there, the, the, the remedy and the answer to this is to get back to the source and to make sure that the source of where it's coming, the heart where it's coming to the mouth and to the lips is back far enough. It's in the pureness. And, and he's saying if we, in fact, have been, um, been renewed by the word, if the, if the word has been implanted in us, then there, in fact, is a spring that will produce the right water. But we need to make sure that that is what's flowing. That's what's coming through the pipeline to our lips. How does that happen? How do we do that? I've thought a lot about this as i prepared for this. And, uh, and I really believe that the key is, is what it says in, in the scripture earlier, where it says in chapter 1, in verse 21, at the end of that, receive with meekness the implanted word. It's the implanted word that, that comes into our life that God, by the Holy Spirit, through the word, brings us to life. But then that word, the word, the scriptures, get implanted into our hearts. And as we receive the implanted word more and more, into our lives. Then the spring is pure. Now, this is what I've thought about a lot. We all have different personalities here today. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are introverts. So some of you were here today, and, and you, you use lots of words because you're an extrovert. And so, again, you get yourself in trouble. It's just obvious you get yourself in trouble. I mean, you, you get yourself in trouble inadvertently, but you get yourself in trouble sometimes because you say things that are hurtful because you have a multitude of words if you're an extrovert. And you, you know clearly illustrations of those things. Now, you might be an introvert here today, and you don't say much. And so when I ask you to think of times when you said things, you might be tempted to think, I can't think of any. And you might be right in, in the pure sense of the word, that you didn't utter the word. Because you don't say much. You're pretty quiet. But that doesn't get you off the hook. It doesn't get you off the hook. Listen to what one person writes. This was helpful to me. Uh, J.A. Motier, in a message of James, writes these words. He says this. Because... Actual speech is more than actual speech. That's why it doesn't get you off the hook. 
This is what he says. In fact, actual speech is probably only a small percentage of the use of the tongue. We cannot think without formulating thoughts and words. We cannot plan without describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. We cannot write a letter or a book without talking it through our minds on the, onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment in words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to self-pitying voice which tells us how hard, um, how, tells us how hard, um, done by we were. But if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the images of lustfulness, the thought of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. It is in this way that if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he's a perfect man. The control of the tongue is more than an evidence of spiritual maturity. It is the means to it. That's why it's, it's not just the outward act, although that's important and ultimately is what can create havoc. I mean, if you don't say it, it doesn't create as much havoc, but it doesn't mean that the spring is pure because you didn't say it. You might have thought it. And, and I think, in that sense, spoke it in your heart. And so the key is to not even let that stuff get formulated at that level. Not even let it get there. Now, well, you know, and, and what the way to do that, I think, is letting the implanted word, letting the implanted word so fill us that it doesn't. I think the way that happens, and I want to I want to just end with this, just sum it up with this that hopefully will be helpful. I think the the way, the remedy of the of coming against our tongue, the way we fight the battle, it's a lifelong battle, you understand that. No one will fully tame the tongue until one day we're glorified. But we are in the battle and we can make progress in the battle and we need to make progress in the battle. And it starts by first of all, let your tongue Portray evidence of your sin. Let it humble you. Maybe thinking about the things that you did at the beginning. Just let them humble you. Maybe they happened this week. Just let it humble you. Let it humble you. Let it show the depths of your own sin and need of a Savior. Even as a Christian. Let it, let it show you the intricacies of a heart that has been so damaged by sin that it takes a lifetime for it to get renewed. First of all, let it just show your sin. Let it humble you. As I said, James bounces all over, but one of the things he says a little later, we're going to come to it, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let it humble you. You've got to start there. If you don't let your tongue humble you, you won't go any farther. Let it humble you. Acknowledge. And in fact, learn what it is to, to think in your, in your mind, what's going on in my heart? Why, why am I even beginning to formulate these kinds of thoughts? Why are they even beginning to percolate? Maybe they didn't come out. But 
I, what's going on? Why do I even think this way? Because of my sin, God, extend grace to me. Extend grace to me. And secondly, live as the new creation you are in Christ. Live that way. Live as one who has the implanted word in them, as a new creation. The scripture says all things become new. Even our tongues can become new and do become new. We now have a new power and ability to do it differently. You don't have to give in to the old way. You'll be tempted. It will be, it, it will nip at your heels. You'll, you'll, if, it, particularly if it's been a habit of your life, if you've been a kind of caustic, sarcastic person, maybe in your mind or maybe with your lips, you're going to have to battle that. Maybe more than others will have to battle it. But you don't have to give in anymore. You do not have to let it rain. You do not have to let it fill that pipe so fully that all people taste is the salt. Because there's another spring. There's another spring that can flow into that pipe that can, that can minimize the other. And it's done. The third thing is letting the implanted word fill you. You, you will not be able to come against this. You will not be able to battle the tongue except, except you receive. You do exactly what the scripture says. Receive with meekness the implanted word. You need to be full of the word and let it dwell in you. Listen to what the scripture says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In word, words are important. Words are important. And God help us with our words. Sinclair Ferguson, I want to close with this this morning. He writes this, and I think it's true. And we're going to pray. The most important single aid to my ability to use my tongue for the glory of Jesus, to tell the truth about God, that's what it means to live for the glory of Jesus, is allowing the word of God to dwell in me so richly that I cannot speak without, with any other accent. I cannot speak with any other accent. That our words are seasoned, seasoned with truth, with the implanted word that we are receiving with meekness into our lives. God help us. God help us to do that more and more and battle against our tongues and to fight. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray. Father, you know where this word has fallen today. You know where this word about our words has fallen today. And oh Lord, you know our sin. You know our sin. You know that in my own life a few weeks ago that that I formulated some words and felt checked and ran right over the top of that in speaking to my wife. 
Father, help us. Help us. Help us not to give mixed messages. Help us not to allow the salt and the pure to flow together with equal proportions, Father. But Lord, help us to learn to have that pipe, that source be your word, that your word would so dwell in us, Father, that it would be your word that we hear and not formulating words that are hurtful and unhelpful. God, help us. Forgive us. We run to the cross this morning. We run to the to the graciousness of our God who says that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble us, Father. Humble us because of our tongues and cause us, Lord, to come against it. Help, help us to have a new determination to not just let it go, to not just run over the top of it, but, Father, to, to, to come against it and to come against it, allowing your word to so dwell in us. Thank you, Lord, for your graciousness. And, and I thank you, Father, that, that you want to come against that in our lives more than we want to come against it. You take pity upon us for the ways in which our tongue gets us in trouble. And you will help us, Father. I'm convinced of that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.